Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan, and we are pumped to be continuing this Breaking Down Bits journey. Uh, we've had such a fun time uh, with the feedback mic. Those have been just so good. I don't know. Like, I never thought I'd enjoy a Zoom uh, open mic situation. I thought that was dumb. And it is so, it's been such a vital and fun place to, sh to workshop jokes get tags uh help me rearrange like it's so fun if you haven't done it definitely hop in email us breaking down bits at gmail.com if you want to get in we do it almost every tuesday would love to have you and got people from all over the world uh can't recommend it highly enough so if you if you enjoy the podcast and kind of what we talk about here we can take that to a little more real world application at the mic so we'd love to have you in breaking down bits at gmail.com that is 9 p.m eastern most Tuesday nights for our feedback, Mike. Uh, we've also had a lot of great guests. Drew, of course, the conduit to every one of our episodes. Also, you can find info on the mic and some of our upcoming shows in the real world at breakingdownbits.com. Uh, our last show, one of my favorites, top yeah. top three, uh, talking with Ed Hill. You have a yeah, callback? I do. That was such a, a, like, I would almost say if you don't watch any other episode of Breaking Down Bits, like this might be one that is really valuable to you. He shares a lot of great information to me. One of the coolest things and really resonated with me was just being vulnerable. He, find, he finds a way to share the most personal stories and, and, and finds the funny in them and finds a way to share them. I mean, no, you can't do Ed Hill's material. Like it is so unique. Um, he finds a way to share those things that you think you, maybe there's stuff inside all of our lives and our heads that we're like, yeah, that's, that's too, too insider. It's too vulnerable. It's too scary to talk about. He dives right into that and it makes for amazing comedy. Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, sharing the story of slipping on your mom's semen uh, <laughs> with her in the room watching during his special, uh, that's well, pretty, pretty not, vulnerable for the record, not his mom's semen. His. Or his, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. His. That would be super vulnerable uh, if there was something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to take that to another level. So he started with that vulnerability in his writing process. So he said he starts within, then he finds topical, something relatable. So start within, moves it into something topical, and then relates it to the human experience. Just pow, pow, pow. And then the other thing I, I didn't, uh, we didn't talk about is his, uh, his choice of words. And, and, and how he how he uses soft words in the beginning and then punches with 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 harder hard con consonant consonants and uh, those types of things to really drive the the punchlines home. So yeah. just so not smart 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 guy. Just yeah, smart comedy brain. Yeah. So performance tips, writing tips. Ed Hill, go check it out. Breaking down bits where you can find it. Uh, we have a couple episodes coming up and we're going to be wrapping up season three. If you can believe it uh, next week, we have Jerry Garcia. That's April 2nd, not the dead guitarist, the comedian from LA. We'll do a uh, seance. We're going to bring it <laughs> be good. 
That's right. Uh, April 9th, a New York City comedian, very funny, Jordane Fisher. And then to be announced, TBA, exciting announcement. Uh, to be booked <laughs> is our season three finale. So stay posted on that. That's all coming up. And then that's a wrap. We'll take a little bit of a break and we'll be right back at you. I like the way you position that. It's it's a surprise. We don't even know yet. <laughs> surprise to us. You ready to bring in our guest? Let's do it. Graham Kay is a Canadian stand-up comedian nominated for the 2013 Canadian Comedy Award for Best Breakout Artist and was the runner-up at the 2013 Seattle International Comedy Competition. Kay's appeared on Dr. Drew on Call. He competed in the reality television comedy competition series Bring the Funny, performed on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and appeared on the feature film Super Troopers 2. He's the co-host of the Edgelords podcast, and you can see his JFL special, Stupid Jokes, available now on YouTube. Hey, Graham Key, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I'm blown away by that intro. This is the most professional podcast <laughs> I've ever. This is like better than a lot of like national Canadian TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I was looking at it. I was like, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah, I did do that. I'm going to be okay, even though I'm talking in my kitchen. You? I was just worried, you, Dr. Drew, you're going to be on like celebrity rehab or something. But now you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing good. I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. I'm moving in a couple of days. A lot of stuff going on here. Moving cities or just apartments? Just apartments. I got a COVID deal. So nice. Yeah. They died. A whole, a whole, a whole, a whole family died. <laughs> a whole Puerto Rican of, first, of uh, frontline workers died in the apartment. And uh, I'm told I have to keep the urns on the mantle. And I get a good deal. So it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of gremlin. Don't get it wet after midnight. Sort of. There's a lot, there's a lot of rules and seances. Yeah, yeah. I get to keep their old rent stabilized lease if I keep <laughs> their urn because they're still in the apartment. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's great. So you're, it sounds like you're moving up, Graham. Uh, you, yeah. And look, you just released that new special and Jay uh, uh, just for last put it up for you. So we're going to be looking at that later in the show. Uh, we like to we like to ascent towards that, and by that I mean we like to hear your story, and specifically looking at some of the big breaks that that came along the way, and really to frame it for some newer comedians, people just starting out uh, that that are looking to 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 get ahead in the industry. So, uh, tell us tell us about your background, your story. I had a really sort of weird, circuitous beginning to my comedy career. Um, I did a couple open my. I'm from Ottawa, Canada, which is like. It's like near Syracuse, New York, like upstate New York. And it's the capital. It's about a million people. Uh, we have two comedy clubs. By the time I was in my early 20s, like 21. And I did like an open mic. Like it was not an open mic, but like the amateur night, which is in front of like, you know, 200 people. And you, you, it's great. And it's like a hot crowd. It's crazy. And... Um, and you had to like call um, the first Wednesday of every month. You had to call this this line, but it was always um, uh, busy. And this is how old I am. My parents didn't have a phone with a redial button, and it was before cell phones. So I would just like I, I had to get a, I, I only started doing comedy when I got a summer job with a phone that had a redial button, so I could just go jink 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 jink, and I could get in, and then. So I like I did my first set when I was 20 
And then like I, or I didn't have a cell phone. Other people had cell phones, but whatever. Anyway, and then I, and then I like, uh, like two years later did, did like did one and blah, blah, blah. And then I did one and it, it, it was, it was like maybe my third or fourth set of my life. In, and I, it's like my third set in two years, let's say. I'm like 23 years old. Um, actually, you know what? I might have been like 20. Yeah, because I got a job. It's so long ago, I can't remember. I did a bunch of mics in my early 20s. I got a job working in Europe for the Canadian government. And then I came back because I wanted to do comedy because I remembered those sets. And I was like, I think I want to do this. And, and then, uh, I moved in with my parents. I delivered sandwiches. I did, I did a, I did a, one of those like amateur nights in front of like a bunch of people. I did really well. And I felt like I was floating. It's like my third or fourth set in my life. And, you know, and this is over like a four year span and I'm like, but I'm like floating and I'm like, you know, and my friend, I was like, I, I my friend like offered me, he's like, I was like, I think I should go to New York. I should go to New York. I, I think I'm ready for Letterman. <laughs> I think I, I'm good, man. <laughs> you know, and and I like I, my friend was like just just by happenstance. I sort of put the feelers out there that you know, like I might. I'm thinking of moving to New York, and my friend was like, you know, I got to like some uh, Jewish connection. He was Jewish. I'm not, but like he had a in at a Jew Jewish summer camp like the office for a rich kid summer camp where they'd send kids all over the world from like uh, Westchester, New York, which is like a rich suburb. So, and my other friend was like, you could stay at my place because I live in New York and I'm gone for the summer. And so I got, I was like, okay, I'll spend the summer in New York. And that'll be like, at this point, I'm like 25 years old. And I'm like, this is getting, um, I'm too, I'm getting old now. I got to start. So a summer in New York will be like two years in Ottawa or three years in Ottawa or whatever. So I go down to New York, I get this job at the summer camp. My job is doing logistics and I sent, I'm like a not good with numbers or details. I shouldn't be working logistics. <laughs> and I shipped a kid to the wrong city in Italy and I got fired. And then, but I had this apartment in New York for the rest of the summer, but I had no money. So I just like, handed out flyers off like got weird jobs off craigslist you know and um no <laughs> just massages yeah just a couple of rough massages a couple <laughs> men being men you know um just feats of strength is what i called it uh and then uh and then uh we so we did that and then and and, and then i, I was like i kind of want to stay and i got a job as a um a waiter under the table like undocumented worker type thing. I didn't get paid. I didn't have a salary. I just got tips. And I oh, ended yeah. up just what was, staying undocumented. What was your, yeah, I was going to say, so your, that was your citizen status. You didn't have a citizen status or a green card or anything. No, if I yeah. got caught peeing on the street, if I was drunk, I'd be deported. Uh, I would have to like leave my, all my belongings in my apartment. If I, anything happened, if I got arrested, whatever, like I was completely screwed. I, it was kind of a dumb idea because I did this for five years. I stayed for five years as an undocumented worker wow. in New York. And it's a, it's a, it was very, very good for comedy because I started in New York. I learned around the best. I saw the best. I saw the like most ambitious people in America to do comedy, who wants to do comedy, move there to do comedy. And that sort of ambition is, 
is uh, contagious. And you and you you go like, oh, that's how you do it. And then you're like, so you're just trying to one up every, you know. And so um, that that really helped. It really helped my 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 comedy, but it was really bad logistically because. I got like a Conan audition. I wasn't allowed to take the audition because I wasn't mm-hmm. legally allowed to do Conan. Um, and and I was passed in. I was getting. I was like passed in four clubs. I could have been passed in in six clubs, but I had to turn two down because they paid by check. And uh, and I was like, okay. When I got the Conan thing and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was like, okay, I got to, uh, I got to leave. And so I moved to, back. I moved to Toronto. I'd never been there in my entire life. Not one time. It's like the biggest city in Canada. It's the biggest comedy scene. You could do like 10 spots a week if you want. And, um, so I was like, I got to move there. And I started over and I was an open micer for a year there. I was past its, you know, four New York comedy clubs in, in, in New York. And I was an open micer in Toronto and, and every, and, and then, so I lose like all this momentum that I was doing in New York and then had to just start the gears again. But I had that, I had that like um, I had downloaded the the process of how to do it, and it was like within within eighteen months, I was like a touring national headliner, and I was uh, full time comedy before most of my friends back in New York. Like a lot of guys, like I was starting out with, like huh. like Mark Norman, Sam Morell, Mike Lawrence. They were still had like day jobs part like very very part-time day jobs like one time one at that point they were like one or two times a week doing odd jobs but like i was like full-time touring you know so it it was good and it also helped me become a headliner quicker than a lot of my friends in new york i was doing an hour right like like within six and a half years i'm touring doing an hour and it teaches you pacing it teaches you like keeping an audience engaged different types of jokes, store, you know, a little bit of act out here, not too many act outs, solid, solid jokes to start. Like, and then, but not like an hour of just like machine gun. Cause people kind of tune out, you know? Hmm. And then, um, and then in order to get back in, I wanted to, you know, people go like, why don't you just stay in Canada? You have your own stuff up there and not in like a derogatory way, but they're like, why don't you just stay? And, there's a there's a bunch of reasons for that. One is when you grow up in Canada as an English speaker, you watch we have the same TV you guys have. I grew up watching Conan. I want to be on Conan. We had a show called Mike Bullard. I don't want to be on Mike Bullard. <laughs> I want to be on Conan. I want to be around the best. I want to like that's I love comedy so much. I ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to do all those things and it pissed me off that I couldn't do it. So I wanted to get back. And also you there's like two people that can be really, really successful in Canada. There's room for like two people. <laughs> and like, if you stay in Canada right now, it's Brent, Butt and Jerry D. Those are the two comedians. You don't know who they are exactly. Nope. Um, but that, so it's like, it was obvious to me. I had to get back in order to get back. I had to get a O one performing arts visa. It's, it's called a person's of exceptional ability. Um, and that's fancy. I love to say that. And, and basically, you have to become uh, a C level 
uh, celebrity, D-level celebrity in your country of origin. In order, you can't you can't have any credits from, so all the credits I had or whatever from America, I had to throw, I couldn't use those because it would show the American government that I was in there working. Mm -hmm. So I had to like start, I, I, I wanted to get back to America as quick as possible to pursue my comedy. So there, there was like, I had to, it took me three years. I got, I got like a writing job. You have to like, First of all, it cost me fourteen thousand dollars in legal fees, which is tough when you're like a comedian. I like that's like, you know, half of what I was making a year at yeah, that point. A year salary for a comedian. Yeah, like legit. So, and then you have to like, um, you have to win awards. You have to uh, show you're making a certain amount of money. You have to show show posters. You have letters of recommendation from leaders in the industry. Um, you have to have like 10 of those, which you know, they're hard to get. And then you have to have like, um, you have to show that you've judged your peers and you have to, the hardest thing is you have to have press written about you. So wow. you have to have like six articles. So you had to murder someone to get a right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Gosh. There is, um, there's a joke I'm working on, but as a side note, I signed up for Google Alerts when the special came out in Canada a year ago. And uh, it's coming out in America now on YouTube, but it was in Canada for a year. Anyway, a year ago, I signed up for Google Alerts. And then I got like a whole bunch of alerts. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> a lot of articles. And people love it. And there's a rapist in Australia with my exact name. Oh. So uh, <laughs> I could have used those. press. Look you, at my, you, you didn't spend any uh illegal time in australia did you that's <laughs> but uh no, it, i'm proud to it, say that uh, i wasn't allowed to travel the past year it couldn't have been me but um yeah. you could only rape locally you couldn't yeah. take that internationally <laughs> no articles about that i'm i'm uh yeah not me i'm uh, i'm a nice man i think but i i uh yeah so basically I, then I then I then I I I did just for laughs, and I won an an award there. We're not allowed to do new faces. Canadians aren't allowed to do new faces. Oh. So um, we have something called homegrown, hmm. and uh, and uh, but luckily there were a couple American agents that came to see homegrown because they're like, no one goes to the homegrown. Like I'm gonna pluck people that no one sees, kind of thing. And legit, there's always like two or three people in homegrown out of the 10 that are like, could have easily, easily been on, um, on, uh, new faces. So, uh, anyway, I, it's an, it's also an award and like it's a competition and I, I won it and I, I got, uh, Gersh in LA to represent me and they wanted me to move to LA and they helped me get my visa. Oh, you also have to have a sponsor to get your visa. And so they were like able to sponsor me. Um, and I got a manager there too. Um, and they sponsored me as well. And we're able to say like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a certain amount of money because they, you have, you have, you have to, the sponsors have to like write a letter saying that this person is not going to be on welfare when they come to Canada, they're going to make this amount of money, blah, blah, blah. So my, my managers used to manage the Stan comedy club in New York and uh, well, they still do. Um, uh, but, 
one of them is no longer with us. Uh, he got he got murdered, but rest in peace, mm. uh, David Kimowitz. But anyway, the the um, it's also why he's not my manager. Uh, but anyway, they uh, they were able to like say that I was going to make a certain amount of money. I moved to L.A. and then I started as an open micer again in L.A. Nobody knew who I was. Um, and I'm like, you know, at this point, what am I like? I'm going on like eight, nine years into comedy. It's my third time wow. just doing open mics, not getting paid, not doing any real spots. And um, it sounds like you've done just as much work uh, to, to do comedy as comedy. Like you've a lot of the work is getting a good act. Sounds like you had to have a great act and jump through a million hoops on the technical side of things as well. Yeah, it's, I, like, I, I have a, I make a, a decent living. Like I'm, you know, doing comedy. I'm very fortunate to do that. Um, I'm very, I have a good life and I'm very thankful for that. And I do think artistically it was a good route to take. Um, going back to Canada and whatever, but I do always wonder if I stayed in New York and I could continue that moment. Like I could see the people I started out with and I wonder, you know, and I, it's not, there's still plenty of time. I'm not like an old dude or whatever. And I, and I'm, you know, things are going up still that things continued to. And I also, now I, I have like a whole other country I can work in and, and they've been really good to me. Canada has been great to me. Just for last has been great to me. The club system up there has been great to me. So it's like, it's, it's honestly fine. And I got to like move to LA and meet a whole new bunch of comics and make some really good friends out there. And it was cool. I lived in LA for two years and then I just was like, I was getting all these auditions and then I just, I like got like, I booked a pilot, the pilot didn't get picked up. I was both, I was going to be on, um, I was like down to the final three to be on how I met your father, the spinoff. <laughs> but then uh, they didn't end up making it because uh, famous actress pulled out or whatever. And then a bunch of things like that, like classic LA shit, you know? <laughs> and then, then all of a sudden I'm going on like three auditions a year and LA sucks for spots. I'm a comedian. I'm not an actor and I'm, I'm doing like, you know, I'm doing four spots a week and all my comedian friends are like, how do you doing four? That's amazing. I'm like, what the heck? This sucks. Four. <laughs> and I just all, I love New York. I just love the city. I would try and live there if I didn't do comedy. I don't care. Like, and I was just like, I gotta get back to New York. I went to New York and, and that's it. So now I've been here for since 2017 and it's been awesome. I've been having a great time. It's wow. one of the, one of the more unique journeys had, we've, we've I heard. To, I had to start over again when I went yeah. back to New York. Yeah. Four, so, four restarts. Yeah. yeah. Man. But I had, it wasn't that, it wasn't like a full restart. Like I, 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 I was going back to New York. I, I, I hit it back like once a year, that whole time. And I had like still friends here and like people knew me and knew I was funny. And so, and I was still passed at like two clubs, two, two of them were, had closed down and that I was really passed at, but hard to be passed at a club that's closed. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Hard I'm currently passed at three of those. Just, <laughs> yeah. If they come back. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> wow what a story that's you you've really fought for this which is like you you've worked hard not yeah on the craft of comedy but just to make yourself 
put yourself in the right places. That's yeah, incredibly it's, ambitious. It's like every Canadian that you see here, people, like if you go to like LA, all the Canadians there are funny. All the Canadians in New York are funny. People are like, you guys are really funny. It's like, no, you get our best. Everyone here fucking loves comedy and got punched in the dick a million or the vagina a million times to get here. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you just have to love it. And I think a lot of people would do it if they had to. If you love it, you love it. And that's the way it is. It sounded like you just kind of start, like you kind of just felt like uh, you fell right into it from the beginning, from your first couple of sets. And then early, early time in New York, like what was, I, do you feel like you have a different story than most comedians in the sense that you just like, it just always was good. Like some people are like, you know, you, they always talk about like your first five years of comedy are trash and you're just, you're trying to figure out your voice and it's all just like, you're going to throw all this away. It sounds like you, you just fell right into it quickly. Uh, I mean, I, I would I mean, I would say for me, I had a good three minutes, an, a serviceable three minutes after a year. Sure. And then after two years, I had like six minutes. That was, <laughs> yeah. it was okay. Like there was like tags and structure and like, it wasn't hacky, you know, it's, yeah. you have to have a good ear. You have to like see what's hacky. Like what has been, what's been going around? Yeah. What are the little tricks? Like I ate all of the meat like that, like two years ago, that's what every hacky comedian was like, all, uh, I want all of the drugs, all of the, all it's like, you know, yeah. and, and like, uh, like 12 years ago it was whittling. Everyone had a joke about whittling for summer. It's like, <laughs> what the hell? And, and so you just, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I wasn't a, a phenom or anything. There, there, there was all the a lot of the names I that I started out, that I said before, and some a lot of other people I started out with. You know, it, they there's always a group in your class that is like, yeah, you could see the little ember of of fire. Like, yeah, that guy, he gets it, you know, or she gets it, and then, and then you, you know, and then it, and then in if you work hard enough, and my goal was to do at least twelve sets a week in those few years awesome. and um and you hang out enough and i barked i stood out in the snow and handing out tickets and I, you know and i did that like that pete holmes show on hbo like he's he was standing on my corner that was the <laughs> corner i stood on and um and um that's yeah cool. and then you, you just you just eventually you start new york has a good system of of checks you're doing check spots where they hand out. I don't know if you guys know about that, or they, your audience knows about that. It's like when you, when there's, it's all showcase in New York. So it's, there's so many comedians. There's only like two clubs that do headline sets. So every other club is six to eight people plus a host. And then second to last, they hand out the checks. And instead of, and, and instead of having the host just eat his dick <laughs> for five minutes while people are doing math, um, well, drunk people are doing math in the dark. Um, they put up uh, uh, an ambitious idiot, and uh, and it and if you do and like the bookers watch and they've seen they know they get it. They're not like oh he bombed. They're like oh he got a couple laughs. You get a couple. He got a couple, couple laughs. Like and then you know you they they let you come back and then you can kind of you know and then you do it 
50 times. And then by the end, you can, you can kind of get them going. And, it, and it, like, at Forge, like, <laughs> you get so battle-tested that when you have an audience that isn't doing math, <laughs> you're just like, ah, you're just an animal, you know? So that's the best description of a check spot I've ever heard. Hands yeah, down. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, there, it, it does, there is a system here and, and it was my, my, I went the club route, which is not always, it may, maybe it's not the smartest route long-term. Um, there's two, there's two, two routes that you can always do in any city. There's the club route. You can do both. I tried to do both, but and the but the other route is uh, just the the alternative shows in bars in like whatever insert hipster neighborhood in your town, and those ones they never pay. Makes a different style of comedy, and it's a little it's looser. You can't be as tight because they don't want you to look like you're trying, which is fine. And <laughs> but that's where all the industry hangs out. So. If you kill in those, if you kill in those avenues, people, important people, all the, all the industry, they're all cool. Like, or they want to be cool. They're trying to be cool. They're all like, you know, want to be hipsters, whatever the, the word is, you know what I mean? And so they're hanging out there and they want to, they want to find the cool person. So they're looking for like, whatever. So you can you can even though you're not making money for your first six years doing comedy doing that circuit the chances of you getting a comedy central half hour or whatever the the netflix 15 minutes is now and is i think higher and getting a show and getting a real so getting actual traction is higher but if you want to get really tight and then tour and then make enough headway that way uh uh the club way the club way is to do it and yeah houston's like all alt scene we don't have, we just don't have any clubs we've got the yeah. improv and then we've got one local club uh called the secret group and that's really and they're even sort of alty in their own way because they're also a music venue right uh but that's it so that's the only one that's kind of what we have to work with at least in this market and it's wild because it's a huge market it's one of the, right. the, about to be the third biggest city in the world or wow. in the world, the country yeah. world. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, so that's a, that's a really unique background. And, uh, and I don't really, know if I was supposed to say that in 30 seconds and I think it's been half an hour. So no, I apologize. Yeah. that is the appropriate yeah. amount of time. Yeah. And you shared some stuff in there that we'll, we'll, we'll revisit when we talk about writing and performance. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it is a good transition point where we talk about your writing style. So we do this very open-ended, Graham. Uh, how do you write comedy? I mean, it's. I mean, I, I. I used to and still do riff with friends and then write it down, and then like on my phone. I never have a pen and paper. I like, I'm a minimalist. I hate carrying a bunch of shit and write in my notes. And then I think of tags. I'll go to shows that I'm not getting paid on or whatever and work on them and put them in the middle of a set, put the, or put the two jokes I'm working on in the middle of a set and just work on the tags. And I'm better on my feet than I am pen to paper so 
if an audience is looking at me, I'm kind of the synapses fire a little quicker and I can sort of, you know, get myself out of trouble and find the avenue that works maybe a little better, I find. Um, but in the pandemic without doing spots and I've periodically in my career done this, but I've started to like write for half an hour a day, just try and do four pages and it works. And it kind of, I'm like, I should be, have been doing this the whole time. Um, <laughs> but I still have, I don't know how much higher my output would have been. Maybe I think I would just have more tweets. I'd have a lot more tweets because <laughs> a lot of the stuff I come up with maybe isn't so good for stand up, but it's, it's, it works better online maybe. And then, um, it, but I still think it's worthwhile because even if you write every day, for half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour, whatever it is, and nothing comes out of it for two weeks and on the third week you get a bit, that's a bit you would have never had. Yeah. And bits are priceless. They're absolutely priceless. So I think I'm going to start doing that more. Um, I mean, I'm, yeah. So basically I, I riff with my friends. I just talk and there are certain, you know, funny lines you come up with just in talking, we all do it. You guys do it, I'm sure. And then you go, oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was like, I haven't heard. And then it sort of sticks in the back of your head. You write it down and then blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, when you hang out with, it's good to hang out with funny friends. It's good. To, I got a lot of stuff from just hanging out with comics on uh, in coffee shops. Then they go, that's a bit. And they go, oh, yeah? And they're like, yeah. Nice. Like I have a bit on uh, on my special I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but um, it's a bit that it's such a so obviously a bit. And I had been doing comedy for uh, like seven years, eight, eight years, eight, 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 nine years at this point. And I'm like, I was touring and I did someone's podcast about odd jobs, a comedian's podcast about weird jobs you had before comedy. And I told the story and they're like, that's a bit. I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. And now it's like one of my better bits. Nice. I love, I love that's like my new favorite way to write is finding someone who like really gets your sense of humor. Yeah. You have kind of a similar vibe and you yeah. just riff a topic for a, an hour or two. And all of a sudden you're like, I think something's coming together here. Yeah. It's, it's way more fun to do it that way than to like, all right, coffee shop, pen, paper, yeah. and go. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, I, I, it's, it, that pen to paper shit works, I think. Yeah. And just write down. My, my advice to you is write stream of consciousness. The first page or two is going to be nonsense and who cares. And then, uh, it's also kind of fun to have a diary. Yeah. It kind of now you have a diary, and I just put like the date on the top at the end. I'm like, oh yeah, because the first two pages are like, I broke my toe, and I would never remember that I broke my toe 20 years from now. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have gone through adversity as a white man, and I show, <laughs> yeah. that, show that to black people. <laughs> um, yeah, morning pages is great. Um, yeah, someone, Scott Dickers, a huge proponent the from the Onion, mm -hmm. uh, huge proponent of. Oh yeah, we yeah. talked. We got into morning pages pretty deeply. For some moments on that mm -hmm. podcast, that was episode like what two, three, four. Um, if you want to hear more about morning pages, cool conversation about there as well. Um, I think you are. I think I got the sense that you were pretty quick on your feet, and you really enjoyed that because in your special, you do some crowd work, 
which yeah. I think it feels like a lot of guys edit that out maybe or would wouldn't put in the special and the fact that you come out and have that whole bit with the lady who got up right when you were announced yeah i thought that was really fun and and nice to see the Thanks. real we saw the real thing happen you didn't edit it up to to cut that out yeah Thanks. I, I did, you know, I wanted to show, to give it a feel of really being there. And I wanted, um, I think showing the audience you're in the room, doing crowd work up top, it, it, you know, it, it makes the audience settled and go, oh, we're all in this together. He's not just going to like, uh, just do his bits on top of me. You know what I mean? Like he's, we're in this together. And I think that that's sort of, um, about an audience watching it at home feels experiences the same way. It's like, oh, he's not just a robot, you know, trying to. And I, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to this comedian as all, but I at all. But I always liked in Elephant in the Room. Patrice O'Neill started with crowd work, and I loved. It's the most seamless transition between crowd work and jokes. And I, no matter how many yeah. times I watch it, I don't know where the joke starts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good. I think it's still on YouTube. If if you uh, yeah, watch Elephant in the Room. If any of you listeners have not seen Patrice O'Neill's Elephant in the Room, uh, stop your car, <laughs> pull over, pull over, let your grandma who has co dying of COVID in the back seat on the way to the hospital wait. Um, yeah. So what do you do? Um, another question we we typically ask, you know, is how do you prepare for a set? What do you, what, what is your preparation process and maybe, you know, days in advance and also like just those last moments before you step on stage? Well, um, I think that the ideal scenario is if you're going to do a headline set, um, I spend minimum about 20 minutes just going over my set in, in my hotel room or whatever, um, getting the order down and forcing myself to work on new stuff and go, okay, the new chunk goes here, blah, blah, blah. And, and then, so I have that sort of the template in the back of my head and then I go to the show and then I'm, I'll, um, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes before the set, I'll look at my, my outline, say the outline in my head without looking at the set. Just, you know, you break it down into chunks, right? So you only have to remember three or four things. But then try and break down. Someone calling me? Oh. Uh, anyway, so the, you, you only have to remember three or four things. And then, then you have to remember... To have fun, you can't, you, you, it sounds so cliche, but you've got to be like, I'm, if I have fun, they will have fun. Have fun. Get in a good mood. Start joking around with the, with the comics in the green room. Start joking with the staff. Just be light, like be happy, you know, force yourself to be happy. And I forget that sometimes, um, but every time I, I, I don't and I do it it really helps and especially on auditions if you're going to run a set if you're going to try and you're trying out for if Jeff Singer's there and you're going to do uh, new faces or something or whatever the thing is in Houston or wherever you're listening it, it just 
have your set down, trust that you have it. Looking at your set list 30 seconds while you walk on stage is not going to help you because you, you're already, you already don't have it if you're doing that. And have a good time. Be happy. You're up there. You're only doing this to have fun. Yeah. If you're not having fun, get a job at a bank, get health care. <laughs> get, you know, do, you know, get, you can buy a house. You can own a home. So the, the only trade-off is to have fun. So make sure you're having fun and the audience will have fun and then you'll have fun. And it's, it'll, it's a very cyclical thing. Could not agree more for sure. Yeah, that's really helpful. The the you've you've already done the work. You did the say you did the twenty minute set list. You've reviewed it in your head. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Spend, spend just a few minutes uh, working the maybe working the room. Perhaps that's what we usually do before our show. We make sure that they they you know strangers kind of have an idea of who we are. It makes your sets go way better, right? You know. Oh, like when you uh, get on stage. No, well, just before the show starts because we have a, you know we run a smaller room, uh, for uh -huh. example. So just you know, hi, introduce yourself, you know, and all that stuff. That kind of stuff can help too if you have, if you have that opportunity. You, but, mean, uh, you mean like after you go on like while you're on stage? No, before. You're saying you're before saying the from, show starts. You're saying as a comedian, when they walk in, greet them at the door and joke with them. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well, that's huh. a, we also produce and run the show and host cool. the show, so it's a different. We're not the headliner, right? They're in a oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's 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 doing crowd work in a different way though. Individually, right. I I totally see that. Yeah, and it makes you it starts getting your performance going up, yeah. like putting you in that zone. So that's a, as a, from a host spot, that's been really helpful. But but in, in, if you're in the green room, you know, don't be just staring at your set. Stop. Don't talk to me. Just have have a little bit of fun the moments before you get on stage, and that'll that'll carry on to the stage. Mm -hmm. and I think that's wise advice. Yeah. Uh, set up set up this uh, this video clip we're going to watch or your, your special that that day. Do you remember anything specifically about filming uh, about the experience that you could share? Um. Mm, yeah, they, when you do any sort of corporate or any sort of taping, always remember that you're the professional comedian. The producers don't know what, how to make the show go. They know everything else and you don't know that. So defer to them, whatever they, okay, yes, yes. But when it comes to the, the words, the order of people on before the camera's gone, be very diligent about that. I, I, we, I had, uh, James Mattern was, was warming up the, uh, he's like a funny dude. He's like one of the professional hosts in New York city at the clubs and he's, Works for TV shows doing warm-up. JFL has him doing warm-up for tapings almost every year. He did awesome. And then I, w I, wanted, um, I wanted a woman to open up for me. I like when there's like a little, little difference. Um, and she, she's so funny. She's so funny. But the way that they made it, like brought her up, it, what, they didn't let James continue the flow, and they're like, they introduced her as a friend of Graham, not a comedian. So everyone thought that she was a friend of mine, not a like a, some lady going to do a speech to advocate how good I am or something. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the cosign. He's going to be Yeah, great. it was, and, and there was like a minute in between him and her. So the show stopped, and then boom, and then 
And it was like, mm. and also I didn't show up like I, yeah, I, I guess that's about, that's the only thing. That's my, my only advice is, is that it was kind of like a weird beginning and I was worried about that and trying to like take care of that and not thinking about my set and not like being loose and joking with the, with, with James or my buddies or whatever. And I didn't bring any friends to my taping. It was kind of stupid because we're all stay. It was filmed at the festival. So we're all like, everyone's hanging out, you know, they're at the hotel. I should have brought friends with me. Like mm. the other people that would do the special, cause they taped like three in a row with different audiences, but three in a row. people before me, people after me brought friends and I'm just sitting alone, <laughs> like ironing a shirt. Like <laughs> I'm about to film a special. And there's like, you know, like a, they, JFL had like a nice spread and I had like one carrot. I was like, Hmm. Um, <laughs> so if you ever do anything like that, like, you know, even if it's not, if it's not like a late night set or a taping or, but even just like bring some friends, bring some comedy buddies with you and like loosen it up and create an entourage. And yeah. And yeah, create an entourage and everybody does it. You don't look like a, like a dick, whatever. And then, um, and make sure you're very specific ahead of times about how, how you're going to get intro. Cause you don't want to be worrying about, cause they're, they're coming up to me like, what is that about this? What is she, you know, this, this, and like, and, and should what at the time. And I had to ask for, I don't know, it was whatever, but it, it, it was fine. They, I, all, and all in all, JFL did a great job. It looks great. Um, I'm really happy with it. And, um, know your set, I guess. Just know your set. All right. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and roll the clip. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's go. I recently just uh, moved in with my girlfriend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, she more recently moved out. Um, yeah. And that's how you get your own apartment, fellas. Little life hack. I'm here to tell you about a life hack I learned how to get your very own apartment you can't afford in New York. So it's pretty sweet. And uh, I could not afford the apartment myself, so what I had to do until the lease was up is I had to Airbnb out the bedroom, and then I slept in the living room in a sleeping bag like a man, you know? And Airbnb, isn't it like, it's an amazing app. Isn't it like an amazing app, right? Right, because who wouldn't want to go on vacation and stay with a sad guy, you know? <laughs> Fly all the way from Europe to live with a broken man for a few days. Isn't that fun? And here's the thing, is, is I, I'm, I'm, I'm a germaphobe. Like, I should not have been okay with this scenario. Like, like before my breakup, if you're like, hey, Graham, uh, how much would you charge for complete strangers to come into your home and then have sex on your mattress? Like, how much have sex where your head goes for eight hours? How much would you charge where you breathe in for eight hours? How much would you charge for that? Uh, I'd be like, ooh, that's disgusting. Um, like a million dollars. And then after my breakup, I was like, $42. 40, 39, please, fuck on it. Um, so what I would do when I would wake up in my own bed, I knew I was gonna have a guest that night, they're my guests. Um, what I would do, it's true, is I would, I would flip the mattress um, to, to the fuck side. Uh, I would do that, I would. And then when it was my, back to my turn, I'd flip back to the cry side, that's my side. So fuck side, cry side, fuck side, cry side. 
fuck side, cry side, depending on the day. Um, I felt the salt from the tears would meet the jazz in the middle and create a full bar. You know, salt cancels jazz. And, you know, it's just science. You know, I'm just, uh, it's a TED talk, really. And um, so that's good. And it's fun to call it jazz, by the way. Give it a whirl, you know. Um, and uh, air, the, here's the thing about Airbnb. It's the B&B part is very misleading. It stands for bed and breakfast. Uh, I was not running any semblance of a bed and breakfast. Uh, a bed and breakfast should have more than just mustard in the morning. <laughs> a real bed and breakfast, if you don't know, is when you walk down a beautiful, you wake up in like a beautiful country home and then you walk downstairs and uh, some lovely woman in her 70s has made you like a full breakfast, you know? And she's like, how was your rest? Are you rested? Check the old mill on the way to town. It's historic. You're like, thanks, old lady. Uh, it is not when you wake up, leave your room, uh, look in the living room and see a man in his 30s just staring back at you in a sleeping bag. <laughs> trying to pretend he didn't just hear you have sex on his mattress. Just... <laughs> if you want some mustard, you gotta eat over the sink. <laughs> she took the dishes. <laughs> I don't know why she took the dishes. They're Ikea, who cares? If I had to really narrow it down, like figure out, like put my head on it, like why it didn't work out, I think one of the major reasons, because when I moved in, uh, I inherited her two cats. And uh, I, I always grew up with dogs, like I always preferred dogs over cats, you know, just because just I like it when your pets love you back. Um, <laughs> I don't understand why you want to pay for something to ignore you around your own house. It's like hiring a little furry 14-year-old to be a dick to you. I've told that joke before. Cat people do not like that joke. <laughs> Sometimes they'll stand up in my show and be like, hey, fuck you, buddy. How dare you talk about Mitzi that way, you son of a bitch. Who'd want to own a dog anyway? They're so high maintenance. That's what cat people always say about, oh, they're so high maintenance dogs. I mean, oh, but they, you gotta wake up every morning. Every morning, you gotta wake up. Then you gotta take the dog outside, let it poop outside your home. Not me, I'm a cat owner. I wanna keep the shit in my home. I'd like to store it for days in a sandbox. I'll keep the piss as well, I want it all. Keep it in the same home that I breathe in, yum, yum, yum. Wanna live in it with an indoor outhouse. And once a week I get to feel like an old timey gold prospector, just. I'm alone. She's gone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to get my cat to come over here while, while that was going on. <laughs> uh, re really good stuff, man. Uh, of, of course, that's the, that's the some of the same material from your uh, from your Colbert set. Yeah. But I liked it because we we got to hear the unfiltered version. So I, yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed that part of it. Uh, there's some some layered type stuff that I really like, and I try to do with my comedy. So in that first part where you you, you brought back sleeping bag mustard, and she left, and then you're back into the she left material and and into a smooth transition. So it's just masterfully done how you're able oh, to wow. layer the bits Thank that you. way. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes that comes together, and you're like, cool. You know, the the thing that stood out to me because watching the whole special, um, you get even more obviously 
of your your different kind of techniques and style and whatnot. The vocal variety that you bring is freaking insane. It's oh man, thank fun. you. You're so great with voices. You, I mean, you, you get the whispers, you get the yells. It's everywhere. You really do keep it. Uh, it's never monotone. You know, the same type of delivery. Yeah. Know. To me, I've found that. You know, there's some jokes you accidentally find out that oh, when I whisper this, it's a lot funnier. When I yell this, it's very funny. Yeah, and you gotta, you know, bring you bring them in when you're quiet. Pauses, bring them in. But then sometimes they're not paying attention, so you gotta be loud. And then they turn, oh, you know, <laughs> and they look back. And I'm not doing that. You know, sometimes if you're on the road or whatever, you do that. But like that sort of teaches you that. And but all those things are taken from um dave Chappelle killing them softly mm. um richard pryor um even some seinfeld oh, no, no, no. like like that kind yeah. of that's a that's a tactic you <laughs> know vocal break is so yeah good. just i'm confused you know <laughs> people like that it is funny and and what conveys emotion sure yeah and it's unpretentious emotion I'm like, this is fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> it's like, I always hated that kind of comedy. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, it's all, all that, all the, all those little, I like, I like, um, what do they call it? Um, used to be, I used to know the, the term for this, but making a room in, on stage with different characters and oh. talking and, creating a, a, a scene. So it's yeah. very Ed Hill. So if you heard up top, I don't know if you heard us talking, but Ooh. it's very, very similar to what Ed Hill does. You started with rooted in pain. My girlfriend left me. Ouch. Yeah. And then you move into this topical stuff, you know, Airbnb, uh, all the bachelor has in his fridge is mustard. Uh, and then yeah. you move it into sort of the, the human experience, uh, having sex on your mattress. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. And it just, you go from pain to relatability and to the human experience. And and it's just, that is, to, and I'm, we're, we're starting to find Drew. We're starting to become, you're making comedians out of us, these guests, because <laughs> that that's, to me, is the ingredients. Yeah. Yes. You, it doesn't always have to be pain. It can be confusion. It can be anger unpretentious anger um and and that it that is relatable you know and then and, and the 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 more specific you are i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this on this podcast the more specific you are in the minutiae of the details of your life the more relatable it is and that is universal in any art any song if you start speaking broadly um I know, I know we just played a clip about uh, cats and kitty litter, but ignore that. Uh, <laughs> if you start speaking broadly, you're going to always do okay. You're always going to do three out of four star, three out of five stars. Um, you're going to, you could, you, you, you'll, you'll probably do pretty well on the road and, but no one is going to remember you an hour later when they go home, they're not, they're not going to remember you, Not only are they not gonna remember your bits, they're not gonna remember your fucking name. Mm. And, um, you're essentially a drink salesman. Yeah. And so it is, it's it, all, all like 
what you were talking about Hill and how personal it is and stuff like that, that is, it's, it's, for me, it's not an act of bravery. It's an act of, I am a narcissist and want to be remembered. <laughs> I want. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, if I say this shit that's real, it'll resonate with people because maybe their girlfriend didn't leave them and there wasn't jizz all over their mattress, somebody else's. <laughs> But they had something like that, that they, they immediately go, yeah, like that in their head. And they go, no, no, they lock in, you know, and they also know that you're not lying to them. You're not being real. That guy is at least being real, whatever that means up there. Yeah. We all have our, we all have our jizz on the mattress. That's so, <laughs> that's the name of this episode. There it is. Look for, look for this on uh, jizz on the mattress with Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that but, the name of the special? <laughs> I'm an idiot. So, yeah. so as a way, so basically, you, what you're saying is that you start with emotion because that's relatable, uh, and then you end with jizz on the mattress. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always yeah. like you know, I when you're another thing that's good is they teach you this when um, in English class. Start with a statement, a definitive statement. My girlfriend broke up with me. Oh, people get it right away, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Have you ever thought about uh, teaching or or sharing kind of your because you're a pretty technical writer? Have you is that interesting to you at all to kind of share the a little more of the behind the scenes of how you construct and write? Um, I enjoy obviously talking about it. Cause you'll ask me a question and I'll talk for 30 minutes, but, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't have enough time and I, it's not something I want to concentrate on. Yeah. And I'm happy to help and answer any questions. If a young comedian or someone older than me that's starting out, uh, has a question. I'm, I'm, I'm and most comedians that you respect are, and that's one of the reasons we started this podcast. Yeah, because it, it, it got us an opportunity, even the mid mid pandemic, to yeah rub shoulders with professional comedians who could, you know, kind of share their backstory and their tactics and their and their life lessons. And it's been so great. You know, this is this is an awesome thing that hopefully will one day happen in green rooms. Uh, yeah, yeah, it will. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm glad you're open to answering questions. I've got one last question for you sure. uh, to, to wrap. It's our, our last segment. It's called Last Laugh. And the way we do it, very morbid. I'm, I'm sorry in advance, but uh, let me play a quick clip. It's so weird. Okay. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so it's Honestly, I'll, comedians think about death a lot. That's why we do this. It's, it's important. because we only I like you only get one life. I was always panicking about it. one life. I got to have fun. You know, if you want to make so. what you're important, you know, if you want to make what you're saying important, remind everybody of their mortality. And it's OK. We gotta be, uh, but but that's what we're doing here. So this is how you, this is your comedy legacy, Graham. This is how you'll be remembered. Your your joke, somebody else's joke. What's the joke that goes on your tombstone? The like joke joke. I thought it was like joke. I want to be remembered by. Uh, yeah, it's open. It's it's an open palette, man. We, we'll chisel whatever you want. Um. Yeah, Middle. I can't. I can't. I can't think of a. Um. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 a joke I want to be remembered by, I, I don't know. I like the joke. I have a, a joke about my, um, my family, uh, my dad, my parents not being able to say I, I love me and all that kind of stuff. And I, I like, I like that I bring my parents to life and people get to meet them and stuff like that. So I like that one a lot. Um, I don't think it would fit on a tombstone. It wouldn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, a little kind of like epitaph. That's funny. It's something I'm sure we've all thought about. I can't, I don't know. It's like, yeah. I I thought of that joke about the, your dad can't say, I love you. I thought that's the first one that came to mind. Yeah. Sort of fit that into like a small thing, but that's such a good joke. Fantastic. Fine. Or whatever. Yeah. Or your your when you call your parents, you're, you get to see your dad breathing in the background. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> your mom talking. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, yeah. That's a great little chunk that you have there in your parents. And so, yeah, it's something in that space, man. We'll we'll accept it as your final answer. Here lies a cool guy who had sex. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the hang loose hands emoji. <laughs> we'll get. Well, that'll be the final answer. Yeah. Well. Well, Graham, as we wrap up, uh, just to, uh, places people can find you on the internet in Canada, U.S., anywhere, anywhere you are. Um, I go to my Instagram. Uh, it's it's uh, on here, Instagram K. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the, the content. Um, I got a new podcast as well called The Edge Lords. It's uh, two non-edgy comedians, myself and Robbie Slowick. He did. He's done Conan. He's uh he wrote, he's wrote on a couple of Netflix shows um, and we're two non-edgy comedians learning how to be edgy because that's how you make the money in this biz. Edgy. Fuck you. <laughs> Women aren't people. Yeah. <laughs> so we're learning how to be huge misogynists. Um, and it's it's hard. It's hard to unlearn all the things. Um, my girlfriend does not agree with it. So <laughs> not a fan. Yeah. So check, check out the, the edge Lord podcast. I'm going to check it out myself. Uh, thank you, Graham, for taking the time to do this. And thank you to everybody for listening. This has been breaking down bits. We're out of here. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com.